Welcome to Witchcraft with Feathersoul. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about new witches. And I discuss the question, so you think you're a witch. We're also going to be discussing the beautiful Amethyst Crystal. And the Ostara Tarot has returned for us again for another reading. And we will be discussing the King of Wands. Fly free, my witches. Enjoy the episode. Hey, hey, welcome to Witchcraft with Feather Soul. We're coming to you on this glorious, overcast, rainy morning from Brisbane in Australia. Uh, I haven't I haven't recorded a podcast for a little while because I've been pretty busy trying to recollect my scattered energy um, following an interstate move and a couple of other things. So here I am. So I do apologize for the delay. Uh, The format of this podcast is going to be a little bit different to what I was initially hoping. Um, My initial plan was to have three segments, um, but on recording the crystal segment and the tarot segment from the Ostara tarot the the podcast had already blown out to 35 minutes and that's just with two segments so I'm currently working out what the format's going to be going forward so please bear with me as things change and we adapt and you know we're on this journey together so today I wanted to discuss Uh, whether or not you think you're a witch. So ultimately my question is, so you think you're a witch? I see this quite a lot in the online forums. Uh, A lot of of people that are new to the craft, they're not sure whether they are or they're not a witch, so they have lots and lots of questions. First off, I want to say there's no test to confirm whether you are or you're not a witch. I mean that. There is no test. There's no exam. There's no practice that you can do to confirm whether you are or you're not a witch. It is really as simple as this. If you believe you're a witch, then you're a witch. It's that simple. There's no need to delve into making it complicated you know the craft doesn't have to be a complicated practice it doesn't have to be full of complicated tests and processes at all it can be as simple as you'd like it to be so again I say you think you're a witch then you're a witch welcome to the craft Now, beginner witches often ask, where do I start? What do I need to get so that I can practice being a witch? I don't know what to do. Where do I buy things? To simplify, you believe you're a witch. You've decided to pursue this. 
what I do want to say before I keep talking is I inherently believe that the craft, um, I call it the craft or witchcraft, the craft is actually a lifelong dedication to learning and personal development. So if you believe you're a witch and if you want to grow your energy, you need to grow your knowledge. So you need to research you need to heal your wounds so if you've got emotional wounding you need to heal that because if you don't heal yourself how can you grow you can't so the crux of the craft especially when you're starting out it's about research and healing so Let's talk about research first. So you're not sure where to start. There are thousands upon thousands of books on the market. There are thousands upon thousands of blogs and websites and podcasts that'll tell you what you should and what you shouldn't be researching. I believe in a blanket approach. What do I mean by that? Read everything. You're not going to know what resonates with you um, and how you're going to want to practice as a witch if you don't have knowledge. Because without knowledge, you don't know what's out there. So where do I start? Well, for beginner witches, and this is a good practice for even seasoned witches, um, again, Read everything. Get your hands on everything. You know, um, get into social groups um, with other witches. Ask questions. Read forums. You know, um, I will preface that with a warning, though. When it comes to the social aspect of witchcraft, especially when you're learning, there is a lot of gatekeeping. So what is gatekeeping? Gatekeeping is essentially when someone tells you how to practice and someone tells you what to believe. Gatekeeping is pushing your beliefs onto other people and telling other people that their beliefs are wrong because they don't match yours. That's not what the craft's about. You know, if you're in a coven, that's a little bit different. I don't comment too much on covens because... I've been actively practicing for four or five years now. I'm not aligned with a coven, so I don't really know how they work. So I'm not the right witch to be talking about covens. But if you're practicing solitary, so if your practice is solitary and you're doing all of this on your own, then your beliefs are your own. They are entirely your own. They're entirely your own to discover and to expand on and to explore. What I believe may not be what you're going to believe. And that's perfect. That is perfect. So don't let anyone tell you that your beliefs are wrong. Because what works for them may not work for you and vice versa. Your beliefs are your own. So... That's all I'll say on gatekeeping for now. Let's get back to research. Where do we start? 
again, I cannot overstate this enough, read everything. If reading is not for you, audiobooks. I know witches who get all their knowledge from audiobooks. They find that that learning through audiobooks fits better for their lifestyle, and that's perfect. Things to research. Now, I have a little bit of a list here. Now, um, I found this list on Pinterest from Pagan Viewpoint. And this list is quite extensive and it talks about things to research as a beginner witch. First and foremost, the history of witchcraft. You need, well, you don't need, but. It's important to have a vital understanding of our history. Witches have been around for hundreds of years, thousands of years even. You know, they're in all sorts of lore, L-O-R-E. Our history is important, knowing where we came from and what our brothers and sisters went through. It's important because it gives us perspective and it helps us to express and to practice gratitude for the freedoms and the allowances that we have now we can openly practice our craft in today's society hundreds of years ago people couldn't do that they'd get the death penalty corporate punishment because people fear what they don't understand it's the history of witchcraft and understanding where we've come from and how our brothers and sisters fought for the freedoms that we have today important. Types of witches, so many types of witches out there, so many. It's a really good idea to get your head around the different types of witches that are out there. In saying that, I believe that pigeonholing yourself into a certain type of witch when you're learning and exploring, I think you're actually going to be limiting your craft long term. Don't chase labels really quickly. Don't be in a rush to put a label on yourself and your type of magic because it's going to grow and it's going to evolve. And the way you start practicing, your practice could change in five years. You could be practicing entirely different in five years. I know I am. Research the types of magic and the types of spells that are out there. So much. So much. Types of divination. Talismans versus sigils. Seals. Symbols. Deities. Just on deities, I just want to add or just make a comment that you don't have to align yourself with a deity to practice the craft you don't it's not a precursor it's not a prerequisite at all if you don't feel drawn to warring to working with deities then don't because this is your craft and it's your belief and it's your practice you do you spirits is a really good one to research so the types of spirits that are out there um, including multi-dimensional beings that's a little bit of a rabbit hole actually this is all full of rabbit holes but I find spiritual research to be very much a rabbit hole 
learning about the different types of closed and open religions there's a lot of closed practices that we won't get access to um, in terms of their knowledge because it's a closed practice so to learn about closed practices you actually really need to be part of you know a certain culture or a certain group of witches lucid dreaming or astral projection the elements so earth air fire and water um, with that I would also be learning the directions so north south east and west um, and their relevance to the craft grounding super important super important grounding practices are vital uh, in your craft especially when you're starting to play with energy you need to be able to ground yourself herbs and crystals altars moon phases and energy I would also encourage that you look into things like methods of cleansing so self-cleansing and cleansing your space I would also look into how to protect your energy and to protect your practice in energetic terms just to keep your space sovereign now that's quite a lot of information to take in a lot of information so remember it's not a race you know you don't need to research any of them in any particular order you research what you're drawn to absolutely research what you're drawn to all of these things are excellent to know but it's a broad subject that's why the craft is a lifelong dedication to learning because we never stop learning even crones that have been practicing for decades still learn something new every day so just be prepared that the learning never stops now I spoke about healing if you're going to dedicate yourself to the craft shadow work is important so what's shadow work in brief terms shadow work is identifying the less than pleasant responses reactions or emotions that we have as a result of people events life trauma and we heal those responses reactions and emotions we heal the trauma within ourselves because our energy and our practice cannot grow and develop if we don't invest in ourselves on a personal level if we don't invest in our own healing and if we're constantly in the same trauma cycles how are we going to move forward we can't 
The definition of madness is to repeat the same thing over and over again, but to expect a different result. Not healing yourself is very much the same. Not, you know, it's, it's, it's very much the same thing. We're expecting a different result when we're holding on to all of this pain and all of this trauma. We need to work through that. For some people, myself included, that might mean seeking counselling support, seeking a psychologist, seeking a psychiatrist. Some witches choose to be medicated, others don't. But without going down the scientific route, healing also means or can also involve involve things like energy healing sessions with experienced and knowledgeable energy workers, such as a Reiki master, for example, if you choose to go down and receive some Reiki healing or a crystal healing. You know, we need to heal our energy. Uh, Without our healing, we can't grow and experience new things. So research and shadow work on its own to start with it it really sounds overwhelming but it's not it really isn't I do want to just briefly comment that if you've got no items because there's lists and lists and lists out there of varying items that witches use and witches recommend and what crystal should I buy and I'm setting up my first altar and what do I need and you know I think I'm a witch but I don't have any tools what do you recommend you don't need to spend a small fortune in fact to start with you could probably find a lot of the items that you'd probably need to start crafting your own home you know you can you can set up an altar with items that have personal significance to you put a tea light candle on it you know you can altars yeah you don't need to have expensive items to practice the craft or to be a witch you don't because Ultimately, it's the suppliers that win out of that. You know, like it's the suppliers win. They're the ones that get rich. So use your discernment when you're starting out and you're buying things. It's it's really easy to fall into the trap of getting excited and wanting to buy all the things. Believe me, I've been there. It was expensive and I ended up with a lot of items that, you know what, I bought them and I've never used them. So use your discernment. Decide whether or not you really need this. In choosing items for your craft, listen to your intuition. What's your intuition telling you that you need? You know, by all means, read read about witches' tools. Read about bowlines and athames and chalices and altar items and setting up by all means read about all of that learn what they are 
but you don't need to rush out and buy them straight away because as you learn and as your knowledge grows your craft is going to change so allow yourself time to collect all of these things absolutely give yourself time to collect all of these things you know that's my recommendation if you want to go out and buy all the things then that's entirely up to you because this is your practice your beliefs so you think you're a witch ultimately the craft your beliefs and your practices they are personal they're your own they cannot be dictated to you by other people we all have different energy signatures which means what works for one is not going to work for another our life experience our heritage our ancestral makeup our past life histories if past lives is something you want to research and choose to believe in they're all different all different your practice of the craft is your own you don't need to pigeonhole yourself into being a certain type of witch or practicing a certain type of magic because and I've said this many times already and I'll say it again as your knowledge grows so will your craft thanks for joining me for this segment today and remember there's no test to seeing if you're a witch if you believe you're a witch then you're a witch fly free my witches i will see you soon Welcome to the second instalment of Feather Soul's Crystal of the Month. Today we're talking about the beautiful amethyst, which is a great starter stone for witches who are looking to work with crystals. The amethyst is easily recognized because it comes in varying shades of purples, from a light purple to a very dark purple. Amethyst is very common and it is available anywhere and in many forms. If you source your crystals from a metaphysical store, you will often see that uh, metaphysical stores have large and prominent displays of amethyst, and you will find pieces of amethyst that are rough or tumbled. You will likely find points and clusters and towers and generators and palm stones and just about anything in between. Amethyst is often used for calming, balance, peace, healing and regeneration. Amethyst provides clarity and vitality, assists with communication and it can also enhance spiritual awareness and abilities. It can be worn, used in meditation, placed on altars, used in elixirs and moon water and 
there are actually drink bottles available on the market with amethyst points for amethyst infused water consumption. The amethyst is related to the third eye and the crown chakras. Um, I had a thought about this the other day actually. If you are looking at the seven chakras, which are the colours of the rainbow, so Roigabiv, not necessarily in that order. Um, often the crystals that are associated with those chakras will be the same colour. So amethyst is purple. So our third eye chakra is purple. And our crown chakra, many schools of thought on that, it's either white or violet, depends on who you talk to. But that would be why the amethyst is associated with the third eye chakra. It's also the birthstone for February. It's associated with the planet of Jupiter. And it is associated with the elements of air and water. Amethyst offers grounding and protection while also promoting and enhancing positivity love and calm it's actually a beautiful piece to work with it has got stunning energy oh well i believe so anyway it's got absolutely beautiful energy the beauty about amethyst yet another wonderful advantage of amethyst is it's safe in water which is why there's a market for the drinking bottles with the amethyst points because amethyst is safe in water it means it does not break down or emit toxic particles when it is mi uh, sorry mixed with h2o this means that amethyst is quite popular for the creation of crystal elixirs for charging drinking water for creating amethyst infused moon water and you know any other crystal and water activities that we may indulge in as a witch so if you're relatively new to the craft or you're not either or if amethyst isn't something that you've worked with a lot or you're curious about you're probably wondering how you can use it in your practice how do i use it in my practice as well this list is by no means extensive um, and I have created this list based on my own experience and things that I have learned since I have been an actively practicing hedge witch. So if I've missed anything or overlooked anything, I'd love to hear from you. Feathersoulswolflair at gmail.com So amethyst in our practice, we can use it in spells. So if we're casting spells that require elements of protection or clarity or calm or spells that cultivate the the maintenance of positive energy we can use amethyst as i said previously in crystal elixirs because it is safe to because amethyst infused water is safe to consume it means that we can use amethyst in crystal elixirs for consumption we can also use crystal elixirs infused with amethyst topically, so we can use it externally. If you buy a small bottle with a rollerball on it and you put your amethyst infused crystal elixir in there, you can actually use that rollerball bottle to draw symbols on your third eye 
or your throat chakra, your wrists, your heart and other areas. Well, at least the areas that I've mentioned, they're the areas that I am typically guided to draw symbols on myself with crystal elixirs. Uh, A lot of Reiki masters and practitioners and even witches that are practicing Reiki, they will also use amethyst to uh, amethyst elixirs in their healing, both for self-healing and with permission of their clients, they'll use amethyst elixirs during healing sessions with their clients. So um, elixirs can be gifted, again, used topically, like the world is your oyster. Amethyst can be worn. I would often wear crystals in a macrame crystal cage which hangs around my neck and I usually buy crystal cages that are long enough that they can hang over my heart center. If you identify as female you can wear amethyst in your bra or your sports bra and if you have clothing with pockets you can also carry amethyst in your pockets so um, but to that note if you are going to carry amethyst the best pieces of amethyst to carry are actually tumbled pieces Uh, speaking from experience I once carried an amethyst point in my pocket and the point of my amethyst point actually snapped off which was disappointing not necessarily a bad thing because I found that once the point snapped off that the energy flowed through the crystal a lot better and it didn't want to be disposed of but nevertheless the point on my amethyst point had snapped off. Amethyst can also be used to cleanse and charge tarot and oracle decks. How do we do that? Well I usually pair a piece of selenite with a piece of amethyst and I'll place it on a one of my multitude of tarot or oracle decks. Uh, You can also pair amethyst with rose quartz um, to cultivate positive feelings and love in your decks when you are cleansing and charging. Amethyst can be used in crystal healings on others by placing pieces of amethyst on their bodies to promote and facilitate the intentions of their healing. Amethyst, in addition to, I mentioned Reiki a few moments ago, in addition to uh, Reiki practices with healings, uh, I personally actually give my crystals Reiki energy and I use Reiki to cleanse and charge my crystals. I often hold pieces of amethyst in my palms while I am practicing self-Reiki as well. Amethyst can be placed in crystal grids. Um, Quite often you'll see um, like beginner crystal grid sets, there'll be pieces of amethyst with green adventurine, clear quartz and rose quartz in there. So uh, amethyst is quite often placed in crystal crystal grids. Uh, And me personally, I have a beautiful cluster of amethyst that sits on my bedside table near my bed. This promotes calm and restful sleep. So amethyst, in a nutshell, it is versatile. It is easy to get hold of and put quite simply, it's pretty. Why do I love amethyst? 
as I said, it can be paired with just about any crystal. As I said before, you can pair you can pair it with rose quartz to promote love and clear quartz to enhance spiritual abilities. You can pair it with selenite for cleansing and protection. That's just to name a few. When it comes to pairing crystals in your work, whether it be amethyst, septarian stone, uh, quartz, selenite, or whatever the case may be, use your intuition to do your research to make sure that the stone that you're using matches your purpose and use your intuition when you're pairing stones, when you're gathering stones for your purpose. Listen to your gut. So you've got a beautiful big piece of amethyst. How do we cleanse and charge amethyst? So many ways. The common and most effective way is under the light of the full moon. Anybody who is anybody knows that the full moon is it's powerful in terms of the cleansing and charging abilities. Absolutely powerful. We can use water, so we can run amethyst under a warm water with a gentle soapy solution. We can use selenite, so we can place amethyst with selenite, because selenite is a self-charging stone. We can use sound cleansing, so if you have a singing bowl or a drum uh, or tuning forks, or if there is any other method of sound cleansing that you have access to, you can use sound cleansing to reset your amethyst. You can use Reiki to cleanse and charge your amethyst. You can also bury it. This is quite common. I see this quite a lot amongst um, green witches. They'll bury their crystals so that they can be cleansed and cleared by the Earth's energy. So, there are two things that I haven't mentioned. Salt and sunlight. Can we use salt? and or sunlight to cleanse our amethyst. Yes, we can, but word to the wise, exercise caution. There are a lot of crystals out there that don't mix well with salt. I am always careful when I use salt to cleanse crystals because of just how easily salt can cause some crystals to break down. If I'm going to use salt to cleanse crystals or to cleanse amethyst, I will always use pink Himalayan rock salt. I don't know why. It's just I think it's because it's high grade and it's a good quality salt. And it's a lot less processed than, say, your table salts. Um, And I am not in the habit of placing my crystals directly in salt. So what I will do is I will put my salt in a bowl. I will place my crystals in a clear jar. And I will pop the jar in the bowl, the jar of crystals in the bowl of salt. So there's actually a barrier of glass between the crystals and the salt. That's how I operate. Uh, because I choose to err on the side of caution. Now sunlight 
if you're looking for more masculine energy with your cleansing and charging of your amethyst you can use sunlight however this is also another word to the wise err on the side of caution amethyst has been known to fade in sunlight if it's exposed for long periods of time so I will quite happily pop my tumbled stones in sunlight, my tumbled amethyst in sunlight, if I am looking to cleanse them in, in the, the midday sun. Uh, but I'm personally, again, I err on the side of caution. I don't leave them out there all day, so I keep an eye on them. Ultimately, I think the amethyst it's a dream to work with it has beautiful energy and it should most definitely be in a witch's kit I would never be without amethyst in saying all of that there are a few things that I think we need to be mindful of when we are looking for our pieces of amethyst amethyst can both be natural or man-made so what does that mean amethyst can actually be grown in laboratories and there are some man-made pieces out there that are grown in laboratories that are available for sale so make sure you check with your suppliers and who their source is and ask your supplier if they know where the amethyst that they sell is mined they may not know this but it's just it's a good question to have in your repertoire when you're researching new supplies for crystals there are a lot of crystals out there that are sadly fake so you could be buying what you think is a beautiful piece of amethyst and then it arrives and what you find is you've actually been sent a piece of purple stained glass unfortunately this does happen it's disappointing but it does happen uh, that is why I both support and encourage the purchase of crystals and other stones and other metaphysical items direct from metaphysical stores or people that are into the collection of rocks um, stay away from places like uh, stay away from places online that sell a lot of products really cheap because the likelihood of sor sourcing a cheap authentic piece of amethyst online from a there's lots of well-known websites out there that I can name but I'm not going to just the likelihood of, of sourcing a a cheap but authentic piece of amethyst from is it's slim so if you're if you find a piece and you think the price is too good to be true it's likely it is if it's too cheap it's likely to be a knockoff. The source of your amethyst is also something to look into. The unfortunate thing is with crystal sales being so prevalent, even sellers, like genuine sellers and suppliers, they can be duped into buying low quality or inauthentic pieces. So ask questions before buying. Again, trust your gut because when you've been around crystals for as long as I have you do get to a point where you can you can pick a piece of glass you know a colored piece of glass from a genuine crystal again I cannot stress this enough 
you are usually safe with metaphysical stores or if you're buying from people who have a lapidary collection or so basically lapidary it's the collection of rocks and precious precious stones so if you buy from someone who has lapidary as a hobby um, they would be able to they're not gonna they're not gonna collect cheap pieces of colored glass is my point ultimately when it comes to choosing your piece of amethyst trust your gut choose a piece that speaks to you allow your intuition to choose your piece and allow your intuition to guide you as to how you should work with amethyst work with it exactly as you feel called there is no wrong way or right way to work with amethyst the best way to work with amethyst is the way that is right for you Welcome to another segment where we discuss the Ostara Tarot, which is our feature deck for my Witchisodes. Now, the Ostara Tarot is created by Molly Applejohn, Eden Cook, Krista Gibbard, and Julia Iredale. It's a beautiful deck. If you are a self-confessed cardaholic like me, the Ostara Tarot is a must in your collection. Now, upon thinking about this episode and what the Ostara Tarot would like to tell us today, I was shuffling and out flew the King of Wands, which King of Wands is pure fire energy. I'll just talk about the appearance of the card before we get into what it actually means. Now, in the Ostara Tarot, the King of Wands, what we see is a stag captured in mid-canter, wearing a crown of fire. Across the stag's shoulder is a branch with luscious leaves. In this card, uh, in this card, the tree branch is the identifier for the suit of wands, which communicates goals, aspirations, drive, and achievement in our life and our careers. In the card, uh, you can see subtle hints of sacred geometry, specifically the flower of life throughout the the background. The sacred geometry in this card, it's actually so subtle that I only noticed it because I was sitting sitting with this card and I was taking in all the details of the illustration. So had I not been paying such close attention, um, I doubt that I would have seen the flower of life in the background the way that they've included that it's so subtle that it's beautiful now the colors of this card are very earthy so i'm talking about lots of greens and light browns that transform into earthy reds and oranges as the gaze shifts from the bottom of the card to the top of the card so we have a transformation of color going on behind the stag here along with our very subtle sacred geometry Now the stag himself, he's imbibed with hues of deep reds and oranges from his feet and his tail. Now these shades gradually get lighter and they transform into yellows, golds and rich oranges as we near his head. His facial features are minimal. So what is visible in the stag's face? It denotes that he is cantering with purpose and direction. 
His horns and his crown of flames are the brightest of all the colours on the card. We see a faint glow around his crown of flames as he canters purposely through his purposefully through his surroundings by apologies. So this card is very, very representative of the element of fire. As I said, King of Wands, we are talking pure fire energy. The King of Wands in the tarot, uh, he is a world changer. He's an envisionary. The King of Wands, if you ever pull that in a reading, is generally denoting that you are a passionate goal-oriented person with a long-term purpose or if you are not that person um, there may be an element of your life that you are passionate about and you have goals and long-term purposes with the king of wands often reminds us to avoid arrogance and aggression in the pursuit of our dreams the king of wands reminds us to listen to others to accept help when you need it. Often, the King of Wands is representative of stepping into the role of leader and bringing visions to life. And to do so, this means that we need to be well-researched, calculated and clear. If the King of Wands comes to you and it's reversed, this is a reminder that the fire element leads to passion not all passion is positive if it's reversed it warns us against rash rash decisions it warns us to harness our aggression in the pursuit of our goals and it also warns us not to use others or to allow ourselves to be used by others in achieving our end goal so That is the King of Wands from the Ostara Tarot deck. The notes that I've just read out are from the guidebook. Um, I haven't quoted them directly. I have paraphrased. So all information in relation to this deck you will find again Ostara Tarot. Now upon sitting with this card, I asked the King of Wands what his message to us is today. Now, I get a lot of my messages intuitively and this is what I channeled. So this is for you, dear listener. Your crown is ablaze with your dreams and goals. Pursue them, but do so mindfully and holistically. There is a saying, hindsight is a marvellous thing. It is, as it teaches us our lessons after the pursuit of our dreams. Rather than relying on hindsight, really look into and feel your vision for your future what is it that you need to accomplish your goals and to bring your vision to life to avoid acting in haste really take in all the details of what it is that lies before you before you achieve your dreams take in all that lies before you even the minor things before you engage the fire in your belly to move forward to make your dreams a reality. What you envision, you can achieve. You 
are on the cusp of moving gracefully and purposefully in the direction of your wildest dreams. What you must do is to get started. Reach into your fire, stoke the embers, and allow your passion to drive you and thrust you forth into a reality that only you thought was possible into the wildest of your dreams. The King of Wands has spoken. Go and chase your reality. Thank you for joining me in today's episode of Witchcraft with Feather Soul. I'm hoping there won't be as much of a significant gap between this episode and the next episode, but we will see what the universe throws at us, won't we? Again, I am investigating or throwing ideas around uh, as to how this podcast is going to look going forward. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, please do not hesitate to get in touch with me. You can contact me at feathersoulswolflair at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook at feathersoulswolflair. I look forward to hearing from you. And as always, fly free, my witches. (laughs) 